0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey friends, welcome back to Calvary Online. I'm so thankful that Thomas was with us to open Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to continue in Hebrews 12 today. I hope you had a really happy Thanksgiving. I'm excited to open the Word of God with you each and every week, and it's such a joy to be studying this book together, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is filled with contrasts, comparisons between two things, and something, often someone, is always greater. Greater than the other thing it's being compared to. That's why our series, our study together in the book of Hebrews, is called Greater Than. Because this whole book or letter or sermon is all about how Jesus is greater than anyone we could ever imagine or any problem we might face. How many different contrasts and comparisons have we looked at together over our study in Hebrews this fall? The book opens by talking about Jesus being greater than angels, these amazing, supernatural, majestic beings that God has created. And the author opens by saying, Jesus is greater than angels It moves on to describe how angels were often messengers and would declare the truth of God and a message of God to his people. And yet the message that Jesus brings to the earth is a greater message than the ones that angels brought to the earth. We see that Jesus is compared and contrasted with famous Old Testament figures, men like Moses, who were revered and admired by Jews. And the author says Jesus is greater even than this great leader Moses. There is a greater eternal rest that is found in Jesus, greater even than the rest that was promised to the people of God when they would enter the promised land. We've seen how Jesus is a greater high priest than the high priest who once a year would enter the holy place of God and make a sacrifice on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people. Jesus is greater even than the high priestly system that God had created and ordained. There is a place where Jesus now is in heaven, and that heavenly holy place is greater than the earthly holy place, that place that the high priest would enter once a year where the presence of God dwelled on the earth. The heavenly holy place where Jesus is, is greater than the earthly holy place. We've seen how Jesus brings a greater covenant. There was an old covenant that God had made with his people, and Jesus inaugurates a new covenant that had been promised by God. A new relationship, a new promise between God and his people made possible by the Son of God, Jesus, because Jesus is a greater sacrifice. A greater sacrifice than the sacrifice of bulls and goats that the Old Testament high priest would offer. So many contrasts and comparisons. And throughout all of these contrasts, the Old Testament has been the the place of illustration, the place where the author has gone back to to make his point. And the audience that would have received this letter or sermon would have understood all of these Old Testament references, the ones that, we'd have to, that we've would had to turn back in our Bibles to mine and to understand and to remember what happened. But these would have been so familiar to this audience because they all were formerly Jews and now following Jesus. And the author has wanted to over and over again make the point that Jesus is greater than this Old Testament system that they're familiar with. And today, as we conclude chapter 12 of Hebrews, we are going to see the final contrast in this book in verses 18 through 29. One final contrast in Hebrews. So open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll begin in verse 18. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What kind of place is this that's described in these first few verses? What kind of place would be described as a place that could be touched? It's a physical location. But but think of, of the words that are used to describe the atmosphere of this place. There's darkness. There's a blazing fire. There's gloom. There's a tempest, which is like a violent windstorm. There's the loud sound of a trumpet. There's a voice whose words made the hearers beg that it stop speaking. What kind of place is this? Again, the audience that would have received this letter or sermon, this first century audience that was hearing these words, would have understood it because it's yet another Old Testament reference. So even though this place is unnamed by our author in Hebrews, his audience knew that this is the way Mount Sinai was described when the Ten Commandments were given by God through Moses to the nation of Israel. So turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus is the second book of your Bible right after Genesis. Exodus is the historical account of God's delivering his people out of bondage in the land of Egypt. And then, led by Moses, they go into the wilderness. And over 40 years, they wander through the wilderness. And throughout this, there are incredible miracles by God. And God reveals his law, beginning with the Ten Commandments. And what we're going to read in Exodus 19 and part of chapter 20 is this description of what Mount Sinai was like. And see if you can notice the similarities between what our author describes in Hebrews chapter 12 and here. In Exodus chapter 19, we'll start by looking at verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came in to the wilderness of Sinai. And then drop down to verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people, to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And then in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain And when Moses goes up to meet with God, God reveals to him the Ten Commandments in the first verses of chapter 20. And then in verse 18 of chapter 20, it says this. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Back to Hebrews chapter 12 and the concluding verse of that section about Mount Sinai says in verse 21, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Fear is what characterizes the description of Mount Sinai. Darkness, gloom, a voice of thunder, terrifying fear. Now, compare and contrast this description of Mount Sinai to the mountain described in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. How different is this mountain? Both of these mountains have a list of seven attributes our author uses to describe them. The seven attributes of Mount Sinai were pretty uninviting, would you agree? However, this mountain, Mount Zion, is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Contrast that to Mount Sinai, which is a real physical place. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a spiritual location, not here on the earth. So it's not like Mount Sinai was a physical mountain. This mountain our author is describing as a spiritual one. It's in heaven. Now, there is a physical Mount Zion. It's in Jerusalem, the, the region where the city is built and where the temple sits is the region known as Zion. That is the earthly Zion. But what our author is describing is the heavenly Jerusalem. Earthly Zion is a shadow of a heavenly reality. And you can come there. You can come to this heavenly Jerusalem if you have been saved by Jesus. You are invited to the city of the living God, where there are innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now, that's kind of an old-fashioned, complicated sentence. It just means there's countless angels and there's a big party there. And you're invited to the party. You're welcomed there. You're called to come and join this raucous celebration. And who else is there? The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church. The ones who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. We're called the assembly of the firstborn. Because what unites us together is the sacrifice of the firstborn son of God, Jesus. And those who have faith in him are enrolled in heaven. Their names are written in the book of life. And they are in the presence of God, the judge of all, without fear, unrestrained access to the presence of God. You remember in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 where the author calls us to let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace and help for our time of need. We are able to have unrestrained access to the presence of God anytime to this spiritual Zion because it's available at any time in any place to anyone anywhere who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. And there... In the presence of God, there are also the spirits of the righteous made perfect. These probably are the saints that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, those heroes of the faith from the Old Testament who had faith and were saved ultimately by the sacrifice of Jesus, even though it hadn't happened yet in time. But they are made perfect in the presence of God because of the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God, who is Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and that new covenant is possible because of the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel you'll remember was killed unjustly by his brother Cain and in Genesis chapter 4 God says to Cain after the murder of Abel that the blood of Cain is crying to God from the ground, crying for vengeance and retribution because of this unjust killing. But the blood of Christ speaks of forgiveness and cleansing to all who believe on the Lord Jesus. These two pictures of two mountains bring together all these contrasts that we've seen so far. Moses and blood and sacrifice and the presence of God in heaven versus the earth. And it all is a picture that the gospel, the good news, the new covenant is so much better than what came before. We want nothing to do with that uninviting first mountain, which is characterized by terrifying fear, but instead are called to the spiritual Mount Zion. the everlasting presence of God made possible through the death of his Son, Jesus Christ. Come to him. That's the point the author is making. Don't turn away from Jesus. Don't turn back to this Old Testament system and your old ways of living, but embrace the gospel. It's such a contrast. And anyone who has received the gospel Any person who has believed in Jesus and has been saved by him now lives a life that is in contrast to the world. Remember, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill. You are meant to be distinct and different than the other people who live on the earth who don't yet know me, who have not called on my name. And so in the time that we have left, I want to show you How those of us who follow Jesus are called to live in contrast to our world. Now, there were seven contrasts between the two mountains. How about we just have seven contrasts for the Christian? Not seven, but how about three? Three contrasts for the Christian. First, we're obedient listeners. Look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. This is the final warning in the book of Hebrews. There have been five of them so far, and this one is concerned with the word of God, that we, as followers of Jesus, would submit our lives to it, that we would humbly obey it. And this illustration draws on the disobedience of the people of God at Mount Sinai. There, where the audible voice of God spoke to Moses, revealed the law, and then what happened with the people? They were unfaithful. They were disobedient. Moses goes up on the mountain. They build a golden calf to worship. Moses is just gone for a few days and they can't handle it. They're disobedient. They were unfaithful to God's word. And our author says that those who were disobedient to God at Sinai received judgment. God was speaking from an earthly mountain, and now when he speaks, he speaks from his majestic throne in heaven. And how much more so then should we listen? We're called to be obedient listeners. God has spoken, and we must, as his followers, listen to him. Jesus said, "'Go therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey.'" all that I have commanded you. We're called to surrender our lives to the authority of God's word. How different is this than the attitude of the world today? I mean, do you see the contrast between followers of Jesus and the world? Our our culture is increasingly opposed to the commands of God. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. The world has always been opposed to what God has commanded, But it is our chance in our day to be distinctly different from the world, separate, in some ways, from our culture. When we live in obedience to how God has called us as Christians to live, there ought to be a contrast to what's happening around us. Now remember, his voice is always worth listening to. Look at how powerful it is according to our author. At that time, in verse 26, it says, On Sinai, the voice of God shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. On Mount Sinai, the thunderous voice of God shook the earth. But now, he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is describing the future time when, after the Lord Jesus returns, God will remake the heavens and the earth in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This is an, there is an amazing picture of what this will look like in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And in chapter 21, Beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John has a vision of, of what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. And it's described this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I am making all things new. This is the powerful voice of God. Speaking today, speaking in the future, making all things new. Let us listen. We are obedient listeners, and we are also grateful subjects. Back to verse 28 in Hebrews 12. It says, let us be Grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are called to be grateful subjects. We're part of a kingdom led by a king, our king, Jesus. And it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There is so much uncertainty in our world today. It feels like everything is being shaken. There's violence and viruses and economic uncertainty and variance and all that All of that can make it so difficult for us to be grateful, to be thankful for what's happening. But Jesus has said, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom cannot be shaken. And as his subjects, we are grateful to be a part of a kingdom like that. And a life of gratitude is absolutely in contrast to our culture today. The American idea is that if you work hard, you are owed something a house, a lifestyle, financial security and stability, material provision. It's hard to be grateful for those things if you are the source of them. But when we cultivate hearts of gratitude for what God has done, we realize we owe everything to him. Not just material possession, but the spiritual blessings that we receive from being part of the kingdom of his beloved son. The open, unrestrained access to his presence the grace that we have received in our time of need, the blessings of being a part of the family of God and the encouragement that we receive from other believers. Gratitude for God speaking through his Son. We have so much to be thankful for. Of course, last week we celebrated Thanksgiving, but gratitude isn't meant to be confined to the fourth Thursday of November. Gratitude should be a lifestyle, a way of life for those who believe in Jesus. Let us be grateful. For a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are obedient listeners, grateful subjects, and reverent worshipers. The second half of verse 28 says, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Just as gratitude shouldn't be confined to a holiday, we shouldn't confine worship to a Sunday. Or to times when we sing, worship is a lifestyle. One that acknowledges who God is and what he has done and then aligns our life to give him glory in all that we do. Whether we eat or drink, we do it all for the glory of God. Whether we work or play, we do it for the glory of God. Our relationships, our families, our free time, our decisions, our suffering experiences, all for the glory of God that is worship now let's be careful when we contrast the two mountains that we looked at mount sinai and mount zion old covenant versus new covenant law versus grace we can be deceived into thinking that there was a different kind of god in the old testament the holy terrifying god who invoked fear in the hearts of people and now there's this merciful and kind and loving god who desires relationship And there's a God of the New Testament that's different than the old. No, God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God of Mount Sinai is the same God we meet in Zion. He is still a consuming fire. Sinai helps us to remember God's holiness, his separateness from humans, that he is different than we are. And his holiness is unchanging. And it does bring fear to humans. Think of Jesus' miracles. He calms the storms and the disciples are filled with fear. Who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? They were terrified. He gave a glimpse of his glory on the mountain. And immediately Peter, James, and John are on their faces with fear. God is a holy God worthy of reverence and awe. And God is also a God of mercy and grace. And when we consider the merciful gift of grace through his Son, we can't help but live a life of reverent worship. Reverence. Gratitude. Obedience. Those things, those characteristics of Christians are absolutely in contrast to our culture. And that's who we're called to be. The assembly of the firstborn. Reverent grateful, obedient. Let's ask for God's help as we live for him. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder of your holiness and of your grace. We thank you for the reminder that the new covenant that has been inaugurated by your son, Jesus Christ, is greater than the old, and that we are called to the new Jerusalem, to the holy city of Zion, where your unrestrained presence lives and dwells that we are called with all who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus to live forever with you. I pray for my friends who are gathered together today in your name that you might help them to be obedient listeners to your word, that their hearts might be grateful for all you have done and most of all grateful to be a part of your kingdom. And God, I pray also that they would be filled with hearts of worship, that as they live their life this week, that they would think of your glory, that is, do your name, that they would live in awe and reverence for who you are and worship you as they live. We pray for help as we live this way in contrast to our world today. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So glad you could join us today for Calvary Online. Before you go, hit the subscribe button, like this video, and share it with a friend. Now, may the God of peace...